0: what's going on
1: oh just uh grinding big time grind mode how you doing big time grind mode i have to man the the call trip was so fun
0: but i'm behind how about you you. i hear you i've been clean living myself nice actually
1: uh i listened to uh i'll send this to you remember we were talking about how we hope red wine's good for us i have not had a drink since the veil trip because of this.
0: the Huberman podcast. I tweeted that out. Did you? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I listened to it. I, 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 I'm someone actually,
0: else I'm actually it. the same. I haven't had a drink since Vale either for exactly the same reason.
1: Yeah, that that, that podcast made made my alcohol consumption feel pretty pretty miserable, but I gotta find I gotta yeah. figure out the right balance. I do like I like there's nothing better than having wine with your buddies. Um but yeah, just gotta figure out the right balance.
0: I was kind of shocked by that podcast, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be as extreme as as kind of the way he laid it out.
0: He's a, a neuro guy. I think a cardiologist would have a slightly different take because I've talked with a number of cardiologists over the years, and they're much more positive on red wine.
1: Yeah, I've heard much more positive things on red wine broadly um sounds like brandy and some of those liquors and then obviously like all the just like you know the seltzers and some of the beers are probably just great avoids
0: he hasn't done an episode yet on pot i'd be curious how that would go i'm sure not well <laughs> um, Based yeah i'm on... yeah. um, oh, sorry but i'm just... the same i i haven't had a drink since i listened to that podcast it's quite interesting
1: yeah and today was probably the most strong signal for me i i played golf super early this morning with like high school buddies who are like really close good friends everyone ordered a beer but me after the round and that's a spot that like i was 100 for 100 getting a beer normally um so
0: (laughs) also i think of my performance on the recent colorado trip and even though like we didn't drink excessively i could point to some instances where my performance would have been better had I just abstained altogether.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially tennis. I think golf is a little, I mean, obviously it impacts it, but like tennis, I think is, is a big one.
0: Okay. So I wanted to start by doing a bit of a deep dive. DraftKings has come up with a new product rainmakers. I, I think I was one of the earliest people on this project. Uh, Maybe, maybe not, maybe not one of the first 30 people, but kind of the next the next batch. And as I did a deep dive, I realized that this was probably the best product DraftKings had ever put out. It was a very intricate game and it, it draws you in quite deeply. Um, this was also, I should say, my first foray into NFTs. Um, I did fully ape in. I really, I enjoyed it and I I made a big move there. Uh bought a lot of NFL NFTs, bought some of the premier uh, rainmaker cards and legendary cards. And since then kind of all the news has dropped, right? We have the contest posted, we have the second big pack drop. And now Twitter is trying to digest what's going on and I've been a bit disappointed, I guess, because I was hoping that everyone would be as enthusiastic as I was, and it it hasn't quite landed that way. Uh, how would you characterize the initial reception?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about the game as well, personally. Um, I have started to accumulate uh, some cards as well. Uh, my first purchase was a Rainmaker Michael Pittman, um, which I think is kind of a, a nice piece to have uh, for rainmaker lineups is like your weakest link um i think it's a brilliant game i think it's really interesting i still am learning a lot uh we're covering it heavily at lucky trade but company they can't just burn a bunch of dollars to kind of get this off the ground but my sense is that um there's probably some opportunities right now and long term DraftKings needs this to be a success so we'll see um I don't know what's what's your I know you obviously have a big bag you also were betting because you you made a lot of your moves before the prize pools were announced you also were betting that the Rainmaker tier would have uh more prizes associated with it um there's rumors that maybe we'll see more stuff but what's your view now uh here on August 25th uh about kind of where the game's going and uh what you expect to see uh going forward
0: First of all, can we use a terminology more positive than bag? Like sure. my yeah, my investment. I'm I'm not into the crypto world, but I, I understand that, that bag has quite a bad connotation. I will I will not say that it's a bag. It's it's an investment. It's
1: only bad during a bear market. See, a bag is a good thing in a bull market, BA, but in a bear oh, market. I see. Yeah. So I people see. are like, oh, pump my bags, that's good. And then in a bear market, a bag is like a negative connotation
0: got it got it so my take i was exploring it all quite deeply before our golf trip and then during the golf trip i wasn't really digesting news so when the contest broke um i didn't really have time to look at it in detail but But when I did, I realized that there was far more of the prize pool allocated to the core cards, the rare cards and the elite cards. So the relatively common cards. And there was not nearly as much as I expected allocated towards uh, the Rainmaker tier and the legendary tier. And I don't know quite how to interpret that. So, one interpretation is that it will change and that it's that's the allocation for the first week with the double prize pools, and then it will look different weeks two onward. Um, The other possibility is that the game is kind of structured as a bit of a money transfer from rich to poor, as it were. Um, And so. In that case, uh, well, if we just look at what happened to the marketplace prices when the pools were released, what happened is that the Rainmaker and Legendary cards either went down or were flat, and then the relatively common cards, your, your core cards, your rare cards, and your elite cards went up in value, in some cases by quite a bit, because the the prize pools were much richer there than anticipated. So typically your, your good investment strategy in something like this would be to go for the extremely scarce cards. And those would typically go up in price the fastest, right? Like if you were collecting baseball cards in the eighties, you would want absolutely your most scarce cards. Those turned out to be your focal points. Um, It would be kind of ridiculous to collect the the tops card that was most plentiful, right? Um, but what happened here is that the the most common cards actually went up in price, and then the very scarce cards went down or were flat. Um, so my my interpretation of things now is that the high-end players who were going to focus on Rainmaker and Legend having observed that it kind of looks like it could be a transfer from rich to poor, uh, are just choosing to sit out the market entirely. So now the market is kind of frozen and none of the high-end packs are selling and there's not much market activity at the high end. Um, And I, I kind of think that it will just stay there until Uh, there's more clarity at the high end. That's kind of my prediction as of now.
1: Yeah, I think we should do a little bit of an explainer too, because the game is super complicated and, you know, it'd take us hours to explain the the full game, but we should should dive into it. But just one quick point um, to kind of emphasize what I said before, uh, you know, good friends with Matt Kalish. um, He's been a, you know, big NFT guy for a while now and uh, obviously was instrumental and and, uh, co-founder of DraftKings and getting this off the ground. Uh, This is his baby. And I really do think DraftKings is going to try to figure out a way to make this compelling and exciting, uh, especially at the high tier. And there's been some hints of things they can do. Um, So I would be surprised if we don't get some more utility or value added to some of these tiers, but that's speculation. And maybe that doesn't happen, but that's the 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 big reason to still potentially be opportunistic now on the Rainmaker and Legendary tier is that, you know, Matt Kalish, DraftKings, this is a very important long term project and they're seeing what's happening. So um, with that, Brandon, do you want to give just like a brief explanation on the game? You, you actually did an incredible job helping me get up to speed on the game, but um, just like a, a brief summary of what Rainmakers is.
0: I'll do my best, as you know, it's a a bit too complicated to summarize, but the short of it is that it's an NFT and we'll go over reasons why these NFTs might have value outside of the DraftKings games. But within the DraftKings games, you basically have assured value of the NFTs because DraftKings is giving away already $30 million committed over the course of the season. And they're giving it away across uh, Classic play Sunday at one o'clock and then also Showdown play. This sp- The split between Classic and Showdown is maybe 75% of the pool to Classic and 25% of the pool to Showdown. They're giving away money every week through Super Bowl. And they're giving the money away across five tiers. So you have at the top the Rainmaker tier, where you only have eight versions of each player, eight copies of each player, sometimes even fewer. Um, and then you have the Legendary tier, which is the next best tier where you have 50 versions of each player, 50 cards for each player. And then you have the elite version, which is 300 for each player. And then you have the rare version, which I believe is limited to five times the number of elite cards outstanding or 1500 players. And then the uh, core cards are um, essentially unlimited. I've I believe they might have a cap of like 30 times the rare cards or something like this, but it's a it's a very large number of core cards. And you're playing a fantasy game using your cards. You can assemble as many lineups as you like, as long as you meet lineup requirements. Um, for instance, on the Rainmaker tier, for the showdown slates, you're doing uh, two Rainmaker cards and two Legendary cards. In the absence of salary cap, you can construct some very good teams. You can construct like the nut teams and they have a uh, tiebreaker, which is that each card has a serial number. And the tiebreaker is that you sum up the serial numbers and the lowest serial number is the winner. So the marketplace has already accorded a big premium to low serial number cards. Uh, For the the Sunday one o'clock, tournaments you have um five positions you have uh, a quarterback a running back two wide receivers and a flex you have to use uh two rainmaker cards and three legendary cards and by the way once you've used your cards in a contest you can't reuse them so you can do as many lineups as you like but once you've used a card in one lineup they cannot be used in a different lineup for that week for that week that's right and so um you have the different tiers and the lineup requirements look quite similar across the tiers so for instance rainmaker is two rainmakers and uh three legendary and then legendary is um i believe Uh, two elite and three legendaries. And it goes sort of down the line like that. Um, The biggest contests for the first week are actually in the elite tier where there's a 100K for first contest. And you saw right away that in the marketplace, the cards that were best suited for elite were bid up quite quickly. Uh, We should also mention that you can't run the absolute nut lineups because, for instance, in your classic contest, you have around 20 players that are classified as superstars and you can only play one superstar per lineup. So you can't play, for instance, Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey in the same lineup. Um, Also, if you have a superstar player like a Christian McCaffrey – they cannot play up, so you can play a non superstar legendary card in a Rainmaker contest, but you couldn't play, say, a Christian McCaffrey legendary in a in a Rainmaker contest. So that's the summary. But again, it's very it's very complex. When you dive in, you realize that it's uh, it's a super super fun game. It's probably the best product that DraftKings has ever put out. But there have been concerns that the that the level of uh, complexity might be a bit of a deterrent. I don't think so. What What's your initial take on that?
1: Yeah, good summary. And as you went through that, I mean, the you guys listening know that this is a very complex uh, but interesting game, and I think it is important to have complexity and nuance and different strategies that can that can work. Um, you know, some of the obvious strategies from, you know, the the superstar angle, like figuring out, okay, here are the best non superstars to play, like a Kyler Murray for for uh, instance. Um, going from legendary up to the Rainmaker tier, uh, other people might employ a similar strategy. So then you have the game theory of, oh, if everyone's doing the same strategy, maybe I should should pivot. And of course there's limited amounts of cards. So it's clearly a complex game, but to me it's fascinating and it's an awesome thing for NFTs and kind of the space going forward uh, because there's real utility because of the prize pools. So I think it's really interesting What we've seen recently um, and where kind of the FUD has came from is people are worried uh, about kind of the guaranteed prizes relative to the pack prices. Um, And that's why we've seen limited action on the pack sales recently. So that's kind of where the market stands currently. Um, And I know I keep bringing up reasons to be optimistic, but one other thing that's happening and just kind of an emphasis um, on how much DraftKings is investing here. They've been running that commercial with Kevin Hart, I believe. Lamar Jackson, maybe Zeke and Stefan Diggs. Um, so clearly some huge names and national commercials. So they want this to be a success. And I do think this is another really interesting uh, format for fantasy. So um, it's kind of an intersection of all the things we love. We'll see how it plays out. And, you know, what DraftKings has done is they've tried to be really transparent about all the the cards. There's a very set number for for all the different cards outside of, I believe, uh you know the common com- common cards which are correlated with how many uh rare cards and elite cards there are but there's a fixed number of cards at all the other levels and you know i think it's really really interesting and the market's going to be efficient uh over time in terms of the capital allocated to this game so i'm still fascinated by it um i'm excited to build lineups to be a really good sweat uh but DraftKings is in an interesting spot now where i do believe it's necessary for them to add additional value to kind of the higher end tiers, which to me, uh, as you're trying to get a game off the ground, it's really important to have kind of the whales and big spenders, uh, boosting the entire ecosystem, uh, to defend their decision though, on kind of paying out in a flat way and giving a lot of prizes on the lower tiers. Of course you want, you know, the average person to come in, spend 20 bucks, hundred bucks, and like have a real chance and have a good experience that's good for the long-term ecosystem as well. Um, but I do think it's it's critical to kind of build this out and have bigger aspirational prizes at the higher end tiers. And there's a lot of things that they, that I think they could do. Um, one thing that we've seen floated around is that you could use you know the Genesis Rainmaker cards and I believe the Legendary cards BA, you would know better potentially in future years. Um, so that's one thing that could add additional value. We could see other types of contests come out Uh, If you were DraftKings, what would you do right now, given kind of the state of the market and what's happening with the game?
0: Well, given that I'm a participant now, it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to answer that question. What should they do? Obviously I think they should do the things that are good for me. Uh, So I can't really, I can't really answer that question. Um, I think I think an emphasis on leaderboard uh, might might be a possibility. I think um, maybe doing some Rainmaker tier showdown contest might be a possibility. Um, I think uh, having kind of a bigger payout for first contest at the Rainmaker tier makes some sense. Because as you pointed out, the idea of paying 30K for a pack when the first prize is 30K at the Rainmaker tier uh, seems a bit tough. So I I think maybe go to more like 100K for first kind of Rainmaker contests. Um, but there are other things as well, right? Like big picture, my, my kind of bull case was that this was unique in nft world where you had you, you had a clear floor value that was based on the fact that they were going to be paying out at least 25 million now we know closer to 30 million over the course of the season so you had like a minimum value per card based on the lineup requirements the production schedule which was a strict max production schedule that they put out um and based on the fact that they were going to be paying out all of this money in, in contests. So that gave you like the worst case scenario in terms of expected value. And then you had all of these um, potential really good things that could happen. Like, for instance, at some point, the cards could go off chain and be used for other purposes and have value outside of the season or outside of the game this is all speculative stuff. And as you know, I'm not really good with NFTs. So I'm not probably the best person to speculate, but the idea generally that they could become big collectibles outside of the game, that was one, that was one upside. Um, The other upside was that even within the game you could have just big overpayments For certain types of cards, like certain focal points that became highly speculative, whether it was, I don't know, the edition number one or the rookie class or some some random speculative focal point. And then the other possibility was um, if this does become an important part of the long term, then maybe the season one cards would have some value outside of uh, season one.
1: Yeah, you just hit on a bunch of points that I think are really interesting. And if you look at just kind of the Web3 NFT landscape now, I mean, there's all these just speculative profile pictures that have no utility or they're promising utility down the road. This is clearly really interesting and like the type of innovation that I think is gonna be really cool. Um, I mean, it's fun when you have a, you know, let's say take Sky Moore or something like that. He ends up being a top five receiver and you own one of his cards. Um, you're going to feel really great about that throughout the year. And I do think that there's some collectible value long-term and one of the coolest things I think DraftKings can do. Um, and they definitely have the opportunity to do so is real life experiences with the NFL. I mean, they have a deal with the NFL PA and, uh, you know, I think there's a ton of really interesting things that can happen there. I think one thing that really helped DFS kind of blow up after that huge inflection point where, you know, you have the millionaire makers and some national advertising, uh, obviously, that really helped the ecosystem grow, but it got to another level when there was all these cool experiences, live finals uh, that people were able to kind of get uh, that were really fun as well. So I think that that's another element that can be really cool with Rainmakers. And again, I know there's a lot of foot out there, but I just I feel like this is such a big bet for them. It's such a thoughtful, smart game. Uh, I do agree it's one of the best, if not the best thing Draftkings has built. Uh, so my view is that over time, it's not going to be clearly negative EV. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And even if it stays, say, neutral EV or a little bit worse, um, there's so many different edges that you can grind from the schedule, uh, the auctions, uh, the marketplace itself, um, game theory against your opponents. So it's a really deep, complex game, which makes it really fun uh, if you're into this stuff, which obviously you and I are, Brandon.
0: I have a question on the marketplace edges, but... um... I wanted to dive in a little bit on the future value of the cards. So, really, it comes down to three possibilities. Um, one is the idea that they do become collectibles over the long term, highly speculative idea, but certainly possible. Two is that you could have some type of burn mechanism where they allow you to trade in 2022 cards for 2023 cards. They have sort of teased that idea at DraftKings but there's nothing concrete there. Um and then the third possibility which they have committed to is the idea that if you hold on to your 2022 cards They can count for your 2023 score. So they have the concept of the franchise score, which is how your entire set of cards performs. And they've committed to the idea that if you hold your 2022 cards in 2023, you'll get 10% of the score relative to the 2023 version of the cards. Um, So, As of this moment, that doesn't seem too important because like for instance, this year, they're giving away around a million dollars on the franchise score. And so you could kind of think 10% of that if they do the same next year as 100,000, that doesn't really move the needle on 30 million guaranteed. But it's it's something that uh, they're laying a framework for in terms of future value.
1: Yeah no and that to me the one of the coolest things that can happen here like the dream scenario as a collector and someone who's excited about this game and and hopes it has and hope it has a lot of longevity is that it almost becomes like a dynasty game um where there is incentive for collecting and being early on people i've always loved the concept of the sports stock market which people have tried and failed a zillion times i've been part of trying and failing but uh I think that that element plus dynasty football, which just keeps gaining in popularity um, is a really, really good use case for these cards long-term. And, you know, I think they have laid out what you just described, which, you know, from a monetary perspective, doesn't seem like much now, but if they do a couple other things um, then there would be value in being early to players. And I think that should be part of the game. If I'm, and I really try to, you know, think about the game, if I'm in DraftKings shoes versus just, you know, being a collector myself, I, I, try to pride myself on um, you know, putting myself in other people's shoes and, and thinking about rationally from their perspective, um, I do think that that's a really cool use case um, and another way for them to get into kind of these longer term games that people want to play. So I think that's interesting. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that they can do that they need to think through now um, that can add value to the collector's. And of course, the long-term goal too is just to build out this ecosystem with as many users as possible. So if they can increase the long-term value of the cards, I think that will really increase um, the value of owning um, these cards now. And one other thing to just point out, um, obviously the marketplace is frozen now, but if the season were to start tomorrow, anyone who had these legendary Rainmaker uh, cards, they'd be in a phenomenal position because there's so many cards that aren't actually opened yet. So. Uh, the market should become a little bit more efficient as we get closer to uh, the season starting.
0: Yeah, you point out the the dynasty aspect and the, the market is sort of pricing things as if there will be some dynasty consideration. So for instance, last night you had the rookie card auctions and the rookies, given the structure of the game, are not worth a lot just because uh, you do, you do better with higher ADP veterans, basically. Um, In the absence of the salary cap, there's not really a compelling case to value the rookies highly, but the rookie auctions in some cases went for rich prices last night. And I think it's because people, they do want to be on that that player that say rises to uh top 10 even if they don't really benefit in the fantasy games this season they would like to have that card
1: 100 percent. and that's something that people want like isn't that one of the you know when i was playing like season-long fantasy in high school and college i like prided myself on uh you know identifying players early on like Dwight Howard was somewhat obvious to I me. Mean, he was the number one pick, but I was like super early had Dwight Howard and like his first three seasons on my fantasy team. And he just became an absolute monster. And it's like, Oh, I helped predict that. Like, um, and when there's payoffs for it, I think it's really interesting. And I do think we saw those in the auctions last night. Brees Hall caught a pretty good bid. Um, there's some other players that I was kind of surprised to see how much they went for given their value immediately this year. Uh, There's a huge incentive to just build like really top-heavy good teams to to take a good shot at winning these prize pools because you're going up against other lineups that have really, really good players. Um, So, yeah, I agree. I think people are expecting there to be long-term value in some of these rookies. And I do think some of these rookies will hit. I mean, there's a couple that certainly have a lot of potential um, and that are in good roles. And every year we have a rookie that just goes absolutely off. I mean, remember last year, Jamar Chase – was uh kind of falling in drafts because he he dropped some passes in preseason and in practice and then he had a historic rookie year and is now a top five pick so there's going to be some players that go off that are rookies and if there is additional dynasty value outside of just the franchise thing then those will be really good cards to own and i think part of the fun here is there is some uncertainty still there's a lot of certainty around the prizes for this year but uh my my expectation is that DraftKings will continue to add utility and value to, to the cards.
0: Yeah. Now, we think that maybe you don't get a lot of benefit for uh, picking a breakout rookie. You do get a lot of benefit in this game structure for uh, picking teams that go to the Super Bowl or go deep in the playoffs, especially if they unexpectedly go uh, deep into the playoffs because – they're going to be quite rich pools during the playoffs and Super Bowl, and if you can uh, if you can pick the sort of surprise uh, deep finisher that that will be very valuable in this game structure.
1: Yeah, just another instance of something really cool. I mean, I've done a lot of work on the schedules. Uh, I think there's a ton of edge to, to kind of look through the schedules. I think there's also a lot of edge in predicting which teams are going to go far for the exact reason you just mentioned. Uh, if you caught kind of a sleeper team that made it far, then yeah, you're going to get a lot of value. I mean, everyone knows the Bills are the Super Bowl favorite. Josh Allen's worth a lot. Stefan Diggs is worth a lot. Uh, Gabe Davis is obviously someone everyone's expecting to break out. Has like a third, fourth round ADP on uh, some of these sharp best ball sites, so people are on the obvious ones and if you can identify some of the flyer teams or you know make some good calls then it'll definitely pay off and to me that's super fun um so i'm I'm still stoked on the game ba um i definitely was a little bit bummed on kind of the distribution of payouts but i certainly understand it from DraftKings' perspective they're trying to you know give as many people a good experience as possible i just think for you know, to to kind of jumpstart the ecosystem, it's really important that the the whales are involved, and that's what we saw early on. I mean, that's part of the reason you aped in, and you know, spent quite a bit on your on your uh, your portfolio. So, um, my expectation is that there will they'll continue to be additional incentives, but I easily could be wrong, and be very clear, it's just a speculation on my end.
0: Now, you said you've been grinding the NFL schedule. Um, how do you rate? Teams that have no buys—I mean, I'm sorry, no primetime games like uh, Detroit, for instance. I maybe Detroit's the only one, um, which has the benefit of having your players sort of playing every Sunday classic slate versus those teams that have, say, the max number of primetime games like your Dallas, KC, Buffalo Chargers type type teams which I mean it's great to have the the primetime slates covered but it's not so nice to have five Sundays where you can't play them on the main slate what's what's your breakdown there
1: yeah I mean I think initially you're going to get a little bit more monetary value out of the teams that have more games on the classic slate but The primetime slates uh, have some hidden equity um, based on what we were just discussing. I mean, a lot of the best teams have more primetime games. So you get those big showdown contests and then those teams are also in general, more likely to make deep playoff runs. So it's tricky, um, but that's another just nuance and complexity to the game. So Dallas, as an example, um, I do love CD lamb this year. I think he's going to be a monster. I I think he has a real chance to be receiver one, but as a team, I'm, I'm quite bullish on the Eagles, and I think Dallas could easily miss the playoffs. And they have all these, you know, kind of showdown states, and they just had their, you know, Tyron Smith just go out, which really, really hurt their offensive line. That the news was announced today, so I'm even a little bit more bearish on Dallas going forward. So that would be like a clear fade. Whereas like Buffalo, obviously, you know, has two primetime games right off the bat. I believe um, Monday Night Football and then the opening game. You know, you're not getting the same value in the classic formats. So, uh, you know, short term, I don't think they're as valuable. But long term, I mean, they're the Super Bowl favorite based on the odds market. So, um, I think you kind of have to look at each team in a dynamic way. And there's certain teams that I'm bullish on, certain teams I'm bearish on. And then, yeah, the Detroit Lions, Carolina, Arizona, those teams have really good schedules uh, from just a straight ev of the prize pools that we know now, not considering the the playoffs.
0: Yeah. And it, to the extent that there is like overexcitement about cards, you you would expect that to come on the showdown days, right? The showdown slates, you'd expect maybe a fervor in the marketplace.
1: Brandon, I got a confession to make. Uh, I have been a closet degen on showdown forever. I think I've had like a couple six figure scores, but I'm definitely net down on the showdown slates. And I know it's it's something I don't have an edge in. And I play like almost all of them it's just so fun so well,
0: this is this is a great format for people that like showdown
1: yeah which is, I mean but the, you know what I mean like if you're gonna watch a game um which is why I know a lot of people bet. I have a ton of discipline in my sports betting um and broadly I think I've had a lot of discipline with my my DFS over the years but as it's become more of uh sometimes I still think I I, I have an edge in and I'm grinding trying to make money but it's definitely not like my full-time income Uh, I noticed that my most degenerate behavior comes out on the showdowns, So I think that that could be the case in this game as well, because it's the next thing right in front of you and and people love instant gratification.
0: What's your conclusion on the serial numbers, which again, only have relevance in the event of a tie and the ties uh, will not happen on the upper tiers for classic very often. They will happen on the lower tiers and uh, we can imagine they will happen in showdown quite often. What are what are some of your conclusions on zero numbers? Because the interesting thing is that in the marketplace, there's clearly a huge premium. It seems to be a bit of a focal point for now.
1: Yeah, I think that's inefficiency in the market. I would not be paying a huge premium. Maybe set guys, I do think it's dynamic to the player, like a Christian McCaffrey. If I'm collecting in like the lower tiers, uh, I would I would put an emphasis on that. Um, but especially in like the legendary and Rainmaker tier, I don't think it's as, uh, as relevant as what the market's saying. Obviously it matters to a degree, but I think it's overrated. Um, maybe from a collectible standpoint, it'll be something that becomes valuable on Top Shot when it first boomed. There's a huge emphasis on cereal and these were just straight collectibles uh, with no guaranteed utility. Um, jersey numbers and like early numbers caught a huge premium. So maybe I'm, Underestimating uh, the collectible value long term, but strictly from uh, a utility and just calculating the EV in these contests, uh, my view is that they are massively overvalued, especially at the high end tiers. But curious, your perspective? Do you have the same analysis, or do you think differently?
0: Well, in showdown, in the in the absence of a salary cap, uh, I I haven't taken a detailed look, but intuitively it seems like there could be many slates where you have a limited number of lineups that are kind of drawing live for the win Yep. um and so i could see uh serial numbers being quite relevant say in the playoffs and in in showdown slates
1: yep is that enough though to justify some of the the deltas and prices of some of these things and again maybe some people are just from what i've looked at and again it's not like a full deep dive but i've just seen some of the serial numbers be like 30 40 percent more expensive and yeah i could see that in the in some of the showdown slates. but i do, I just don't see especially at the higher end tiers that many ties um and if, if, if you're tying if, if, if you're playing a lineup that's going to tie a lot To me, that's like, okay, then I want to just completely fade some of those lineups and do something a little bit more unique, Um, which I do think is possible because I think there's some obvious strategies with uh, some of the best non-superstar players being played quite heavily uh, in the Rainmaker tier for the the legendary uh, cards. But again, a lot of nuance here, and and you do point out something really sharp with uh, the showdowns and uh, the playoff slates.
0: Yeah, I think it it just depends on your strategy. If you're if your strategy is that you're going to get contrarian for uh, a spot or two, then clearly you care less about serial numbers. But if you're going to play it say for max projection, uh I could see caring about serial numbers. You wouldn't care say for Rainmaker Classic because there are just too few lineups. That's right? my
1: that's my broad point.
0: But but let's just say you're looking at the the rare contest, where again, we think there are like uh, 1,500 rare versions, and then essentially unlimited core versions of players, right? And you have uh, a good bit of duplication possibility, and you're gonna have many versions of the same basic lineup, where for instance, say, a Diggs core card can play up and a Kyler core card can play up. So you're going to have a lot of lineups that sort of start Kyler, Diggs, Marquise Brown or something like that. That's three of your five spots. Now, if you're not going to get contr- uh, contrarian on the on the two free spots, then um, then I think you do have to worry about serial numbers a little bit.
1: Oh, 100%. You just, I, I think for sure at the lower tiers, it's super relevant. And there actually is a lot of merit to the delta. And you just named off a couple of the cards where I think it's very important to be cognizant. I mean, Kyler is probably one of the most obvious plays. Arizona has a really good schedule. Uh, He's a non-superstar quarterback that you can play up. And I just expect him to be a pretty popular player in terms of uh, these high equity lineups, like the top projected lineups. So there's more value in his serial number than say Josh Allen Rainmaker or whatever, just because there's so few. And like, those are going to be played in different spots. Um, and you can go down the list. I mean, the rookies and, you know, someone like Christian Kirk or, you know, um, these guys that are like 50 to 180 P that are not going to be as common because they're just lower projecting lineups They're more contrarian kind of, uh, dart throws. Those are the ones where I think, uh, the serial number doesn't matter much, but the Kyler's the Stefan Diggs, the Marquise Brown, um, those are very obvious, Cards that have immense value where the serial number definitely matters more.
0: So let's talk a bit about the auctions and the marketplace. So the the auction setup is super fun. I got into it when they were doing the initial Rainmaker cards. The way they do the auctions is uh, what they call a candle style auction, where they'll set a window of, let's say, 8 to 8.15 p.m., and the auction has an equal probability of ending at any second in that window, eight to eight fifteen. And so as a practical consequence, you get a very good deal if it happens to be an early wick, as they call it, and it ends, say at, at eight oh one or just after eight o'clock. It it turns out to be quite a fun auction style, and I think they've been they've been popular.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really, really smart way to do auctions. And uh, I would love to see that implemented in other auction formats, but uh, super smart. Um, And just another, I know I'm sounding like a DraftKings shill here, but there's so many nuances that are really thoughtful that give me a lot of excitement about the game. And the auctions is definitely one that I'd point to. Um, And it's fun. I mean, I I think auction format uh, is by far the most fun, just traditional fantasy format as well um i'd love to do like i'd love to see an auction best ball format down the road uh so hopefully we'll get that but uh it's really interesting and i've been watching some of the auctions i haven't actually won anything on the auctions yet but uh i do think it's probably the best place to get value um the packs certainly are not the best place to get value right now so either the marketplace or auction are your your main two options and If you have the time and kind of understand the value of the players going, then there's tremendous opportunity. And I'm certainly jealous of uh, some of the stuff that you got in the auctions, BA. And I know your biggest regret, I believe, is not going heavier on the Josh Allen auction. Is that correct?
0: Oh, that's so clearly the nuts, right? I mean, to have the Josh Allen superstar, like that's just so so obviously the nuts. That's worth unlimited, I think. And uh, yeah, that was a big mistake. What was your best buy in the auction? Um, that's a good question. I guess, I guess it was Jonathan Taylor at, I, I think, 10-8. That's a great buy. Yeah, I thought that was a, that was a great one, but, um, really... Also,
1: BA, we should, we, we buried the lead. We should have started off the pod with this. I mean, give people a little bit of an insight of, uh, of how deep into uh, Rainmakers you are.
0: Well, I... I have uh what I'm in fourth place I guess according to the number of uh fantasy points in the collection based on the the recent rankings so I'm I love it. I'm in fourth place. That's pretty good. Yeah, first place has like three times the collection size but What uh, about
1: the delta between second place and you?
0: Um maybe like plus 40 or 50 percent collection size.
1: got it yeah so you're you're deep into this which i love and i I anticipate i'm building out some high-end lineups and uh there's just so much going on in the football season i I definitely am going to play but i i do agree if you're going to go really really heavy at this it's almost like a full-time thing for 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 sundays and for the the island games for that matter
0: my approach was to think about the uh, the 25 to 30 million as the unknown amount that they were giving out, and then because the prize pools weren't posted, I was assuming a certain share of that for uh, Rainmaker, Legendary, and Elite. I turned out to be optimistic in my assumptions for the high end, and then, and then uh, based on the game structure and. Assumptions about what the uh, payoff profile was, I was able to basically estimate the value per card first per per position, and then and then kind of per card. And so the reason I got deep into it is because it was sort of self evident to me that the initial auction prices were far too low. Uh, for instance, like even if I assume that there was no value to say Genesis, the first edition. And even if I assumed that all the cards would be out for the first week, um, I found that, like, if you took, say, the entire class of Rainmaker quarterbacks, so one version of each quarterback, Rainmaker, at auction that was going for, like, 60% of what I value the entire class at. So I thought, like, you could basically blindly buy uh everyone and do well, according to my assumptions. And then, and then the way it turned out as we've covered is that the, uh, the Rainmaker and legendary tiers got less than expected. So um, <clears throat> the math is not as compelling, but um, as it's happened, those cards, especially the very premium cards have not fallen very much. Uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about the marketplace because I have not experimented with NFTs before I I don't know how the marketplace works, for instance, in say Zed Horses or or Apes. Um, in this structure at the marketplace, you can you can put your um, offer price out there for a card that you hold, but you can't bid on a card. So it's not like a typical market, and it works pretty well, but you might think there could be more volume if there if there was a bidding mechanism. Uh, do you think there should be a bidding mechanism and how does it work for other NFT marketplaces like say punks or apes or zed horses?
1: Yeah, to me, that's like one of the obvious things. That, and I know that there's, when you build a new product, you have so many things to do and prioritizing what gets done is is a challenge, but the bid in the marketplace is like, the most obvious thing for liquidity that I would do right now if I was DraftKings. So I know there's some challenges there, and then you're going to deal with all these bots, and that's a huge part of the bidding in these other marketplaces. BA is you have all these bots that are doing all these things to try to you know get one over on people. And there's actually one of the the biggest CryptoPunk buyers uh, is a bot that will um, has figured out a way to basically override the smart contract to like if there's a bid accepted. They can kind of jump that bid accepted with like a fraction of ETH more. Um, so you see all sorts of games, you know, you see people bid and other types of currencies and try to trick people. So there's a lot of uh, malicious, or maybe not malicious, but a lot of opportunistic uh, behavior with bids, but it's still such a huge thing for the ecosystems. And especially um, when liquidity kind of freezes, the bids create uh, a ton more action. So I think that if I'm DraftKings, that's one of the first things I'm trying to get out. I know they have a lot of things they're trying to prioritize, but it's needed and it's prevalent in these other ecosystems.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things I don't understand as a non-NFT person. Like right now, DraftKings sort of has this thing on training wheels where it's not fully decentralized. And then at some point, they want to take it off the training wheels with the problems that might present for security and what have you uh but then once it's off the training wheels then the cards could be used for i don't know other games or other purposes outside of DraftKings. do i have that right
1: that's right and i i think that that there's some really interesting things that can happen um i think a lot of companies and builders would be interested in using this ip and kind of the dynamics here but uh, i get why they're not doing that that's a way more complicated thing to do and as they're trying to get this game off the ground and Obviously the majority of the value is the utility and price pools around uh, the game itself. So I don't mind that it's centralized this at this point in time, but I do think the bid function would be huge. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that invested a lot and I think are trying to get out. And, and, you know, I think we'd see a lot more action if there were a, a bid as well as an ask because it's tricky, uh, especially with the, the transaction costs between um, buying and selling. I mean, that's one, factor that's really really important to consider uh if you're going to play the game and kind of do this is that um there's a a big transaction fee uh for trading in the marketplace so uh it is not a good idea to just be like funneling through players every single week buy sell buy sell buy sell you should be thinking about the the cards that you own from a, a, a little bit longer time horizon of course there'll be good times to flip potentially but it's it certainly seems like a bad idea to me to try to flip week to week um, all of your cards and be buying
0: new lineups every single week. So you mentioned the idea of bots. There's already some evidence of bots in the marketplace. It's not for sure. Uh, It could just be that people are negotiating deals and then it kind of looks like a bot because someone will post a card and then the other person will quickly buy. Um, But I don't know. On balance, it looks like there is some level of bot behavior do you do you agree with that
1: i think it's like 99.99 percent that there's a couple of bots out there for sure i mean some of these bots i mean they're buying within five ten seconds every single time um that doesn't seem like something that's negotiated every single time and it's different users and um it's i would bet a huge percentage of my net worth and lay big odds that uh there's some bots out there and i think it's really important that that gets cleaned up long term because that. Is another thing that would just, you know, really hurt the ecosystem in the game long term. If you're a casual person wanting to come in and play the game, you want to have a chance to, you know, have fun and maybe make a little bit of money, at least feel like you have a chance not to just get run over. Uh, you're gonna you're not gonna be excited if you're learning that people are using bots to basically snipe all the good moments from the marketplace, especially when perception is that the packs are not good value. So that's something that I think needs to get cleaned up and I think DraftKings and a lot of these operators have handled this stuff pretty well over the years. Obviously there's little, little things that I think could be done better, but it's a challenge. And, um, of course, you know, one of the other things for DraftKings now is these bots are making up a good amount of liquidity, which is good for them. So, um, I, I, I think they know it's not in their best interest. There's a place that you can email. I've actually sent, uh, an email about this, but yeah, the bots are, uh, not ideal for the ecosystem long-term. And as a user, it's certainly frustrating. Uh, would you, would you be in the same camp as me that you would, uh, you would, you'd bet money that there are bots and uh, potentially lay odds?
0: I think so. And uh, it's against the terms of service. So the people are risking their accounts in theory. Um, also, it's kind of an open question because because DraftKings does sort of have this on training wheels right now, I suppose it's theoretically possible to reverse a transaction in the same way that like an exchange could reverse a bad trade or whatever. So, like, just for instance, there was a situation where a Mahomes Elite card, I believe, sold for nine dollars and it sold like 10 seconds after it was posted, which could have been quick fingers or it could have been a bot, probably a bot, right? Yep. And uh, it was obviously a mistake because uh, the the person had previously posted it and then he was lowering the price and I'm sure he meant to put 900, right? And he put nine and then it insta-sold so it's kind of an open question, does DraftKings like break that trade? And what does that mean? Can it consider itself an NFT if it's like breaking trades like that? We That that kind of thing hasn't been established yet, but bots have seemingly capitalized on mistakes and they've also capitalized on people that just uh, don't understand the game yet. They've just put cards out for far too low prices or uh, put, addition number one out at the lowest price or things, things like that.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I expect DraftKings to handle this over time with the, the right way, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, and again, you know, there's a lot of bots out there in the decentralized world. So that's something you're naturally competing against. I just hope for this game. Uh, I think it has a big chance to drive out casual users and, and it's a big perception problem too. I mean, we saw this with DFS in the past. Um, you know, and people are, early days before optimizers were available to the public to use, there are certain players that were using them and, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel had to come up with new terms of service. And, uh, you know, I would talk to people about DraftKings and FanDuel and just be like, yeah, it's super fun. You know, it's obviously a skill game. So you have to learn to get up to speed to be plus EV, but, you know, it's, it's definitely fun and something to, to aspire to get good at. And a lot of the responses during kind of those early days, 2014, 15 days, when people were talking about, I was like, oh, I heard that there are people who have like machines that are building lives for them. I can't compete against that. I'm not going to play. So I think that's a big perception thing that um, needs to be taken care of. And hopefully it just, you know, especially if the marketplace is as important as it is now um, in order to have a chance to be plus EV, um, it's critical that, that DraftKings gets us gets taken care of.
0: Now you've mentioned that the marketplace and the auctions have the best value and the packs have the worst value. Do you think that like that's a sustainable equilibrium where people enjoy opening packs and are willing to pay like a super premium for the packs and then you get good deals on the marketplace and auction or is that just randomly how it's gone so far?
1: I don't think that that was the expectation. I think if I was designing a game, the perfect model would be have the packs be. If you let's just assume the whole game is neutrally EV, I would have the packs be like minus five, minus minus ten percent, negative EV. So obviously, it's not as good as just looking for deals um, or doing the auctions, but you you get to gamble, which is fun, and people love opening packs. I mean, that was something I just absolutely love doing in NBA Top Shot, and just in general, it's a, a really good experience, and I think. DraftKings did a good job kind of uh, with like the pack picture and it's just fun. It's fun to, to gamble on packs, but right now, especially at the high end, it just makes zero sense. And when I say they're horrible values, there's a, there's a, a difference between each tier of packs. I mean, some packs have stayed in a better spot. And when the prize pool is announced, I believe kind of the elite packs were, were actually decent value uh, if, if I'm remembering correctly, but certainly we have seen, I think zero Rainmaker packs sell since the prize pools have been announced and one Legendary or something like that. I mean, is that right? Or has I, there been think, a Rainmaker
0: sale? I think uh, they've been up for like five days at the Rainmaker and they sold two. One of them two. was the
1: Okay. So I, I had to admit. So maybe they've sold Legendary. They've sold two Rainmaker packs.
0: But but 20 people had the option to buy them at a 15% discount. And I'm not sure that any of those people took up the the option.
1: Right. So like that's bad. Like they that that's something that just has to be solved over time because opening packs should be like the most fun part. And and like I would be willing to buy a pack if I knew it was minus five percent EV relative to other things. I mean, I think I can play the game and like it's just fun. Like uh, th- that's something that I'd be willing to pay the entertainment expense for personally.
0: Now uh, the two the two precedents for this game are really. Uh... Top shot and so rare, right? Especially so rare where people were buying NFT uh, soccer cards and assembling them into fantasy lineups to win prizes. And so rare, uh, it was built by some French entrepreneurs and it very, very quickly went to a uh, billion dollar plus valuation. The engagement was so far off the charts that it... Uh, it went from zero to a billion as quickly as I've ever seen any company do it. Um, I don't know how SoRare is doing at the moment. I assume it's still doing quite well. TopShot kind of had its moment and then fell off. Uh, I've heard that they kind of flooded the market with volumes, but I that's unconfirmed. And they never really had a fantasy game or any sort of guaranteed payouts to build around. Is that right? That's right.
1: Um, I would say that now, I think both so rare and, and top shot have fallen off from kind of their peaks, but, um, top shot just announced their all day, um, NFL product. And that seemed to get a pretty good, um, response. Um, but yeah, interesting games. I think, you know, DraftKings looking at, I mean, so rare raised $680 million led by SoftBank at a $4.3 billion valuation. Of course that happened in September of 2021, which is, a conversation maybe for a later day there's a bit of froth uh in the markets last year but uh yeah they're they're interesting games and so rare definitely have utility whereas uh dapper did not uh with nba top shot they're they're strictly collectibles we're seeing more and more uh utility be added to the games uh i was able to go to like a nuggets playoff game in a suite with the 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 nba top shot crew and i think they'll continue to do more cool stuff They you're able to play like horse with like some of the NBA prospects. And there's there's some really interesting things I think DraftKings can do to emulate Dapper uh in that regard that I think could add value to the Rainmakers ecosystem. But uh yeah, those are the two comps uh, I messed around a little bit with so rare, but don't know football slash soccer as well as I know other sports. So it's tough for me to have an edge. But Both both those sites had uh you know a lot of third party picks and shovel sites pop up around them and try to build tools, content, et cetera, which is a good sign. And hopefully we see more and more of that with the Rainmakers. And that's something we're trying to do with Lucky Trader. So to me, the best game out of those three is uh is what Rainmakers has done. Um, because there's real utility. So that's what I'm hoping to see more of uh with these sports games.
0: So at Lucky Trader, you guys are are doing some supporting tools. Uh... What do you what do you have in mind for rainmakers? And I'm I'm not going to keep you for very long. I I have one more question after this one.
1: Okay. No, this is fun, BA. I love chatting with you. So no no stress on time. Um yeah, we're really trying to cover Rainmakers as much as we can. Um, I think we'll do more and more content around it. Uh, I think right now the big thing that we can do is educate people on just the nuances of the game. As you mentioned, it's just such a complex and interesting game, and you really have to deep dive and the average person's not gonna do that. So uh, we're trying to kind of expedite the learning curve. And then long-term, you know, we absolutely are really excited about building out tools. I think it'd be really cool if we could build out an optimizer if you could plug in, hey, here's the cards I have. What type of contest should I play? What type of lineup should I play with the cards that I have? Um, that may be something we are able to get done this year. I definitely don't wanna commit to it, but certainly uh, for, for upcoming years, that's something we could build. And then, yeah, some other basic stuff, just figuring out some of the, the card values and, um, you know, seeing if there's values out there in the marketplace. That's stuff that we'd want to do long term. Um, and then anything else we can come up with that people have feedback on? We're very interested in building stuff to support the Rainmakers ecosystem.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, there has not been like our Rainmakers podcast or any sort of consistent Content smizzles put out some good stuff, but it it's yes. Shout out to smizz
1: he's done a great job. And I think we all want to make this work. And I know if you go in the Discord, it's like, oh, smizzles a DraftKings shill, Brandon, Peter, whatever. You guys all are shilling DraftKings. I think we're all just excited about the game. And I hope Draft. I I, I don't think DraftKings came out and said, "Hey, we're going to try to take a bunch of money from people." Obviously, they're a business; they need to operate as a business. But I think their hope is that this is a long-term success and I don't think they want to rug people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I hope so. Uh and how are my Zed horses doing?
1: Oh Z has not been good. Zed uh, has not been, been good. Z has been frustrating. That was my favorite use case for NFTs as well before because there's like actual tangible value. Um I mean I like some of the straight collectibles. I think crypto punks are really interesting. Um there's a lot of history there and they're like the main inspiration for this profile picture like kind of bubble that we saw i guess uh, over the last year um so i do think that there's some history and you're seeing big brands like tiffany's just signed on and did something really cool with punks so i think there's a couple collectibles but like 99.99 are going to be worth zero um and i think these utility games and like the next wave of innovation we see with nfts where they're tied to physical goods or actual experiences or things like link style where you're part of a actual country club where you can go play golf like that to me is way more interesting and zed you literally could buy a zed horse which is an nft and then you could race it for money um and i think a lot of the the legal stuff was part of their challenge um but zed long term i still love the concept the churning groups behind them who uh i know well they were the 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 uh firm that put together Action Network, bought Fantasy Labs, uh, also Barstool, and quite a few other successful uh, businesses. So there are some really smart people. And Zed was a really innovative, smart idea. But uh, most NFTs, Brandon, have done really poorly in this risk-on market, which is not a surprise to you and probably not a surprise to many other people. The the coolest thing that I've seen in uh, the NFT world so far this year is definitely rate makers.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that uh it's been interesting to have this as my first nft project because i have some friends that did really really well in the nft world you you remember my uh podcast with von mises yep and uh i think 5000 dollars into at the peak i don't know nine figures uh, it was pretty crazy and then you you have given me some very good advice over the years that i've ignored and other people like Bales and uh one of the one of the things that was interesting is that my friends who did well they've always given me the same advice they said you just have to ape in there and then develop the understanding later because if you take too much time to understand you're going to miss it yeah i'm not sure if that's good advice or not it's it's interesting advice right uh it's been right a lot, certainly during the uh, 2020, 2021 time period, that was that was good advice. But then I look back at some of the projects, like let's say Axie Infinity. I've heard it's quite bad, but it was hot for a moment. I've heard it's gone quite poorly. Um, they were like, just don't think about it, just ape in. And it goes really well for a while and then really poorly, so.
1: Right, and I think a lot of it too, and I think where Brandon, you could do super well, and this is a fun kind of topic here, uh, is if you can identify some trends and identify good macro environments that's that's when you you should move quickly. I think in bear markets and when there's less hype and and you know excitement that's when you can be more methodical and really develop a thesis and you know make some really sophisticated smart buys but you know when you're in bull markets or new trends if you can just see that little bit of a bump and I think that's something that historically has been my strength and certainly Bales. i mean Bales is really really good at identifying those early kind of trends that's where you just need to say hey i don't fully understand this i see something happening here i'm just gonna i mean and maybe not fully ape in, but i'm gonna make some big bets without a ton of certainty because i see this little trend and then as the as things develop you can you know come up with a more sophisticated view and that's what, you know, really paid off last year. You know, Top Shot, I wish, I, Top Shot, I didn't sell any. I still think there's something really interesting there. Um, but like CryptoPunks is just like, okay, I know NFTs are something that are going to really catch on this year. Um, there's all these interesting things happening. Man, they're really expensive. But like, there's clearly something here. I aped in about like four or five um, in the beginning part of the year then I really started to understand the history. Then I understood some of the characteristics and, you know, I bought my hoodie actually the, the night we went in with uh, when our daughter was born, I bought it like, as we were getting to the hospital, uh, cause I had developed like a more sophisticated view in that like couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, when there's asymmetry available uh, when you have a lot of risk, but like, you know, huge rewards, that's where um aping in or, or, or going hard in the beginning makes a little bit more sense, Um, but you have to have the right macro conditions and you have to have things going a certain way for that to have merit. Like right now, that would be a very foolish strategy, but with DraftKings, I think it was very savvy to ape in, And I I know that you're a little disappointed with kind of what transpired in terms of the prize pools, but you came up with like a very, you, you had a baseline expectation and I think you still made really good investments and there's certainly ways that this could really improve for you. So I think it's smart, and also like if you just like kind of dip your toes into the water with certain things, that's where like almost always uh, your investments like go to zero, or you know you don't make good decisions is because you don't actually learn about what you're buying. Like that's like like just dipping your toes in. Um, at least for me, historically, has gone really poorly.
0: Podcast disclosure: This is not investment advice. Peter and I Please. do not encourage aping in to anything.
1: Good job, Brandon. Thank you. I just think the asymmetry is interesting. Like that's, and for me, I know like I can identify trends somewhat early when it's like in that like bull cycle. I am not, I'm, I, and one thing I hope to get better at over time is like, okay, here's the value during these bear markets. Like everything's sold off. Here's what has a lot of value. Like I'm going to make these great value buys and it's going to pay off for me down the road. That is not a strength of mine. I'm much better at identifying, okay, we're in this early stage of like this straight up curve, like, what are the things to go after? So I think identifying what you're good at, um, and understanding asymmetry and in investing is is really important. And um, I admire you because I feel like you can do both of those things. Well,
0: I don't know. Some sometimes we'll see. There's a big test ahead of all of us. Uh, the next year or two, I think. So
1: Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you.
0: Well, I appreciate this so much. Thank you for your time. And I I definitely appreciate you coming on last minute.
1: Absolutely, Brandon. Anything for you. I had so much fun uh, and I'm already looking forward to uh, our annual golf trip next year. So thanks for having me on and keep up all the great work on the pod.
0: All right, I'll see you soon. Rainmakers was gracious enough to be the first sponsor of this podcast. For those of you interested in playing on Rainmakers, download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app, sign up with the promo code ADAMS, click the Rainmakers tile, and opt in to get your first card free. You will then join thousands of players who are playing for millions in prizes all football season while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code ADAMS. Build, play, and win only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. Prohibited. See draftkings.com for details.